Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. message today. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to get this thing kicked off. I'm excited about this series that we're in called The Genius of Jesus. The Genius of Jesus. It's actually, we're going to extend it a couple extra weeks because of how much there is inside of the teachings of Jesus that we all should understand more and at a higher level. So, but I'm going to go ahead and pray and we're going to jump right into it. Father, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your strength, for your courage. I thank you for your insight. God, I ask you that you would teach us uh, through your word, that you would speak to us. God, we're not here just to hear ideas ideas from a human. We're here to actually hear your voice, to hear from your heart. Would you release your word to us today in Jesus' name? Amen. As I throw things and make a mess on the stage. Amen. How is everybody? You're good? Okay, good, good, good. Jumping right into this. This has been a great series and I'm very excited about it. We've talked about a number of different things inside of this series as far as on genius, the genius of Jesus, what he teaches, uh, how he operated, how he walked in his life. And so as we dive into this next teaching, I'm pumped about some of the things we're going to discover. See, when Jesus taught, uh, the, the people that heard Jesus in the natural said that his teachings were different than everyone else that taught that they had ever heard before. See, in the Jewish culture, there are five original books of the Jewish Bible. They're called the Pentateuch. Those were the books that God spoke directly to Moses, and Moses and his assistant Joshua wrote them down. They're actual God's words. Then they're the actual historical books and the books of poetry and wisdom and all the different things that are added in to make up uh, what's called the Torah or the Jewish Bible. Uh, we as Christians have the New Testament added on to those different books, but the Jews had a, a totally different system of books that they compiled as well called the Talmud. And the Talmud was the teachings of all of the different rabbis and all of the opinions. And the reason that God's word is so, one of the reasons that his word is so true to us today and so powerful for us today is because of how um, disciplined these scribes were as they wrote and documented his word. Uh, we, when we were in Israel, went to different places where the, the scrolls were actually written and stored, uh, where they discovered the Dead Seas. There was a group of, of religious Jews called the Essenes that were very um, articulate in the word, and they literally were the scribes, and they would separate themselves out from everyone else in society and live in the wilderness, and all day long, they would write the words of God onto scrolls, and every single scroll had had to be perfect. Every letter had to be flawless. If they made a single mistake, they had to start all the way over. There were no photocopying. It was all by hand, and they were so disciplined and careful with his word, and it's one of the reasons that God's word, even to this day, the ancient manuscripts that we have of God's word are the most accurate ancient manuscripts of all time that exist inside of human uh, antiquities. There are no other ancient documents when they run them through the rigorous tests of, of 
of how historically accurate they are. There are no other ancient documents that are as accurate and perfect as the word of God. Do not believe anything you hear about all the word what was changed from here was changed from there. They actually have original documents that are thousands of years old and it translates in and measures up with modern translations as well. So it's an incredible thing that we have. And in this specific uh, era that I'm describing, the Jews, the rabbis would teach. And when they would teach, they would use the Talmud, the commentaries, and they would base all of their beliefs and their opinions on the opinions of other people. And anything they would use to make their point, they would use another human's argument. And so when Jesus showed up on the screen, on the, on the scene, he was the first one that didn't do that. And so they said of Jesus, what's going on with his teachings? He's not like the other ones the other rabbis, he speaks as if he actually has authority. Instead of using another human to prove my argument, Jesus just declared the word of God because he was the creator of all things. Jesus didn't just know the word. Jesus was the word. He is the word. The Bible says Jesus is the word of God made flesh that dwelt among us. He's the essence of all creation. Everything that God does, everything that God creates, he creates by declaring his word. Amen. Today, as we look into the genius of Jesus, we're going to talk about the secret of happiness. Wouldn't you be interested if you could find the secret of happiness? Have you ever had a happy season in life? Yeah. How about a sad season? You ever had a happy, sad season? The crazy kind that you feel nuts just depends on what side of the bed you woke up on because every day is so bananas. You ever had one of those seasons where it's like, seems like, well, I can't remember the movie. Was it Gone with the Wind? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times all at the same time. I've had so many times in my life that if I focused on one part of my life, I could be happy. But if I walked over and looked at another part of my life at the exact same time, I was sad or miserable or angry. We throw around a, a you know, a, a label in our culture, bipolar. But you, any and all of us can feel up and down in the same day, moments apart from each other. I had seasons where everything was going on incredibly well in my life. Some of the best times in my life, the best friends, the best relationships. And at the exact same time, my daughter's dying of brain cancer makes you feel crazy. Other times, everything is going amazing. Family is great. Work is great. Everything's incredible, except now it's 2008, 9, and 10, and I'm losing all of my properties. Anybody relate to that one? Seven years of rebuilding credit is a miserable time and a wonderful time all at the same time. There's an author that most of you will know. His name is Rick Warren. He's a pastor, a former pastor of Saddleback Church. He's just recently retired. But he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And in, 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 in his own recounting, he talked about how that season of writing a book that would go all over the world and make him $30 million. Praise Jesus for a book that'll make $30 million. Right? At the same time, in the same season, his wife is fighting for her life with cancer. In that same season of now living in the, the, the provision of this, what this had created for him, he was able to give back every penny the church had ever paid him in salary. Now he was able to give back and pastor his church, not just for free, but be one of the, the biggest contributors in his entire church. And in the same season, his son, 27 years old, commits suicide. 
And he describes how in life, it's not that you have ups and downs. He says you have ups and downs simultaneously, like two tracks on a roller coaster that happen at the same time on the same day. You can have the best day and the worst day, and it makes you feel crazy. And happiness tends to be pretty short-lived. You ever worked really, really hard to get something that you thought would make you happy? And then when you got it, you weren't? Jesus, in his teachings that we'll look in today, gives us the secret to happiness. Are you excited? Are you interested? Jesus said, all authority and heaven and earth has been given unto me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. We have been called to walk in his authority. As we walk out the genius of Jesus over these next few weeks, we're gonna talk about the authority of Jesus that's released to us. And authority from Jesus starts in our own personal lives. If we can't walk in God's authority in our own personal lives to deal with our own personal emotions, it makes it really challenging to walk in his authority to affect and bring change in the life of others. Let's go in the Bible to the book of Matthew. If I can, I'm having technical difficulties up here. There we go. Matthew chapter five, verse one. Uh, Jesus is teaching, this is uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read you just a few passages from the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous sermons that Jesus ever preached. Uh, I've been to the, what they call the Mount of Beatitudes, where he actually preached this message. It's a beautiful place. Uh, Galilee, where Jesus loved to hang out, was like the Napa Valley of, of, of Israel. It was wine country. It was beautiful. Rolling hills, green, and all green. The, the Sea of Galilee is a big lake. Anybody that likes the lake, this was an incredibly beautiful place um, where, where Jesus enjoyed himself, and he enjoyed his time there. And when he led the disciples and walked out on the beach and said, hey, come follow me. It was literally just down the beach from this, this little hill or a, kind of a mini mountain that they called the Mount of Beatitudes. And you would think of probably of him being up on the top of the mountain, but what the historians taught us is that he wasn't on the top of the mountain when he preached this. He was down by the seashore and the mountain kind of came up and had like a natural amphitheater and had all of these rocks that were looking around as we were up on top looking down and all these rocks literally looked like stadium seating. And so the people, the masses, thousands of people would come and sit and Jesus would be down below preaching up and the, the air, the actual wind would carry his voice up this natural amphitheater. And he was able to teach the thousands of people without having any added microphone or acoustical treatments like we have to have in our modern day and age. And it was most likely at this mountain and in this environment, this type of a setting where Jesus would take a little boy's lunch box and turn it into a meal for thousands and thousands of people. And as he stands up on that, uh, that, 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 inside of that natural amphitheater that day, he declares this word. His disciples came to him, Matthew chapter five, verse one, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives a list of nine specific things that would make you blessed. And the very first one he mentions is poor in spirit, 
Was anybody want to volunteer to be poor in spirit today? The next one he says is, blessed are those who mourn. Anybody want to mourn? These are opposites. Jesus is talking about opposites so many times when Jesus taught, Jesus would teach things that wouldn't make sense. They're the opposite of what you would think. In fact, you would think if you wanted to be rich, you should work harder, earn more, keep more. But the Bible teaches that if you want to be rich, you should give more. It doesn't make sense. We have a, an Oaks business networking lunch that we do every first and third uh, Tuesday at 1130. If you want to grow your business, come hang out. You want to sharpen yourself and meet some people, network with other business people in the church, come hang out. One of our business leaders this week spoke and talked and he told the story of how 11 years ago he was homeless, sleeping in his car, going from house to house, couch surfing with different friends. God gave him an idea for a business. And the number one principle that he instilled in his business was that he was going to tithe 10% off of the gross revenue of his entire business. Not his personal income. Before he got paid, if he ever got paid at all, he was going to tithe off the gross revenue of the entire business. By the end of that first year, he had given to God's church $20,000 from homeless to giving away $20,000. Fast forward 11 years later, the businesses that he and his family own will give away this year projected $600,000. $600,000 giving away based on a principle that makes no sense to human nature. Because if you want to have... I want to have $600,000. Don't you want to have $600,000? In the principle, I mean, you're getting the math on this, right? If you can give away $600,000, that's 10% of the growth. Six million from homeless. Using a biblical principle, the genius of Jesus, that makes no sense to our human nature. But it's a kingdom principle, and it absolutely works. And I could stand up on this stage Leader after leader after leader after leader of people that are in our church, they would tell you the exact same type of story that when God showed them the revelation of generosity, it changed everything about their life and their business and their future. But it makes no sense because it's opposite. So Jesus opens this teaching and says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they'll be made rich. Let's dive into this. Let's continue. Second one, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. And when they persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus gives nine specific beatitudes. I'm gonna call them attitudes of your heart. 
that you need to be in order for you to be what is called in this passage, blessed. Nine. Nine is a very specific number. I mentioned earlier the, uh, how disciplined the Jews were with their language and with, their, uh, with scribing things and, 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 and keeping records. In the Jewish language, if you study it, there are letters of the alphabet similar to how we have letters in our alphabet. But every letter in the Jewish alphabet is also a number it's also a picture, it's also a word, and a lot of those letters actually end up being more like a sentence with what they mean. It's a very fascinating language. It's an incredible language and wild that God would pick that language to archive uh, and to create a masterful display of his wisdom in, in his own word with a language that is so interesting and diverse. So when we look at this and we recognize that every single letter has a numerical value and a word value. If God says something a certain number of times, it has a meaning. And nine has a specific meaning. Nine is the number for completion and finality, according to scripture. The number for completion and finality. So Jesus giving a list of nine, he's giving a complete and final list of this is exactly the type of attitudes you need to have in your life if you want to be blessed. It was the ninth hour when Jesus said, it is finished and gave up his spirit. It's the ninth day of the month. It is the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement. There are nine fruit of the spirit, a complete list. Nine gifts of the Spirit, a complete list. Nine is a number of completion. And so he gave us a complete list connected to the word blessed. But when you look up the word blessed that's translated here in Hebrew, or pardon me, from the Greek in this passage, the word blessed is actually the same as the word happy. It's used interchangeably. So these attitudes that Jesus gives us are actually the secret to happy. Oh, wouldn't you like to know the secret to happy? See, happy is a feeling. It's an emotion. And I'm going to give you some, I've studied, I have literally studied the science of happiness for probably the last 10 or 12 years. I'm fascinated with it. There's actual Harvard studies on the science of happiness. It's interesting. But, but what we see here is that he gives a specific list of attitudes that will affect your ability to be happy in life. Have you ever known someone that just couldn't be happy? Not very fun, a lot of folk to be around. The Eeyores of this world, right? They're not the funnest. But we have to learn how to interact with them because they're out there. Don't nudge your neighbor right now. If they're an Eeyore. Come on, Tiggers can be, we Tiggers can be pretty annoying too, Okay. The bouncy, trouncy, fun, 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 fun. We, we're, we can be so irritating. Always bouncing around on our tail, giggling and being goofy and stuff. I drive people crazy all the stinking time. The Beatitudes, let's look at these things. Poor in spirit, what does that mean? Poor in spirit means you don't think you're all that spiritually. See, there was only one type of person that couldn't receive Jesus. It was the self-righteous, people that were so righteous in and of themselves that Jesus actually said, you have no room in me for, your, for my word, no room in you for my word. You're so full of yourself 
that there's no room for me. Self-righteous, rich, I'm spiritually rich. Without Jesus, you're nothing. Without God, you're nothing. Your righteousness is filthy rags, dirty bandages. There's nothing nastier than a dirty bandage. Ugh. That's your righteousness. Recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a savior is what positions you for God's grace. If you ever get to the place where you look down on other Christians, be careful. You get to the place where you have your nose turned up and you look at someone else in struggle that looks like a wretched person, be careful. Paul said, but by the grace of God, there go I. It's only by God's grace that we're saved. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. See, we don't like seasons of mourning, but it's part of life. Uh, I'm a happy dude. I don't like to be sad, but it's a part of life. And I remember the season when my daughter had just died. And I asked the Lord this question, Father, what do you want me to learn? I knew the, the why question never gets answered. God, why? God, why? It never, it never gets answered. Father, what do you want me to learn? And instantly in my spirit, I heard him speak to me. He said, I want you to learn how to be more like my son. For my son was a man acquainted with, with much sorrow. That's what Isaiah says about the Messiah. A man acquainted with much sorrow who knew grief. I didn't know any grief in my life. And, and, and as a result, can I tell you, I had very little compassion for people that were struggling. Very little compassion for people that were down and out. Because I thought I just had this mindset of just suck it up, get up, dust your shoulders off, pull your boots on, let's go. And, and, and it was only in that place of sorrow that God could give me a sense of compassion to feel for other people. It made me a very emotive person. It made me very, and, and a very empathetic person where I would feel other people's pain. It makes it horrible. I, I hate doing funerals because I'm too, I'm too empathetic and I feel everyone else's pain. I take their pain on myself. Can't stand it. It's the worst part of my job. Got to do them sometimes though. Got to buck it up. Part of life. But when you go through some sorrow, you can help some people. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Meekness is often mistaken for weakness, but it's not. Meekness means that you have strength and it's under control. You have strength, but it's submitted. I have the ability to defend myself, but I won't. I have the ability to lash out and bring judgment or vengeance, but I'll refrain. Meekness means I trust God to take care of that individual. I trust God to be the deliverer of judgment. Oh, so oftentimes, we feel justified and want someone else to be judged. We'll get to that more in just a moment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is teaching about the attitude we need to have about stuff. 
We as humans, we, we live our lives pursuing appetites oftentimes. Thinking that if I can just feed this appetite, it'll make me happy. I'm thinking, I know where I'm going for lunch today and I'm, I'm getting very happy. Because I love food. I know exactly what I'm going to order from this exact place that I love this place. I know exactly, and I'm really, really going to be happy. But then if I accidentally eat a little too much, I won't feel happy because then I'll feel stuffed. So the pursuit of temporary things isn't what actually fills you. Jesus said, if you can adjust your attitude and hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's when you'll actually be filled. See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We don't need to pursue all the wants and the needs and the things we think we lack. They don't actually make happy. It's temporary, and oftentimes it ends in sorrow. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Anybody need mercy? I need mercy. I need a lot of mercy. If you're merciful, you're sowing seeds for future mercy for yourself. But oftentimes, as I just mentioned, we want mercy for me, judgment for them. God, get them. You ever prayed the God, get them prayer? Mercy. If I want mercy, I've got to give mercy. Sowing and reaping. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. Oh, it's so hard to stay pure in your heart, isn't it? So many opportunities to get offended. If you haven't been offended in the last two years, oh my goodness, I need to take a lesson from you. So many opportunities to get offended every single day. The reality is there's a very high likelihood that I as your pastor will offend you at some point in time. Because I have to tell the truth, number one. And number two, I'm a human. And I mess up just like anybody and everybody else. And, and I can miss, miss it and have an opinion. And if you haven't noticed, I'm a talker. I got a big mouth. I put my foot in it all the time. But what we need to recognize is that offense is a choice. And resentment or anger or a grudge is a prison for you, not for who you're angry at. When you get offended, if I let my friend Abel offend me, I can sit there and have this thing in my heart against Abel. He doesn't know anything about, but when I see Abel or when I think about Abel, I'm like, oh, that Abel, I can't believe that he beat me in golf that last time. Oh, and he only uses four clubs the entire time. It's so obnoxious. A driver... Five iron, seven iron, a pitching wedge. That's it. And he beats me. I got seven more clubs that I use and I can't beat him. Craziest thing ever. Sick and tired of it, Abel. <laughs> it's actually a true story. <laughs> I'm not mad at him. He just embarrasses me. Beats me like that with four clubs for crying out loud. I'm being silly right now, but you understand... It doesn't hurt him one bit for me to have a grudge in my heart at him. It puts me in prison. I'm the one that, I'm the one that has to live with the poison 
that I feed to myself every day because I won't forgive. Chances are, if you've been in church long, you've been offended in church. I know I have a bunch, a lot. As Christians, we've got to do our best to be pure-hearted, faith like a child, innocent, pure hearts. It's hard. It's something you have to pray about, something you have to give constantly, asking God, purify my heart, purify my heart. Get this junk out of my heart. Every time you get angry, and listen, anger is not a sin. What you do in your anger is a sin, oftentimes. But, but sometimes you'll get angry and the Lord will show you something that's in your heart that needs to be purged out because the pure in heart get to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaker should be self-explanatory, someone that makes peace. But a peacemaker is not a pacifist. Jesus was not a pacifist. Jesus turned over tables. Jesus fashioned a whip. Jesus called things out. Jesus called the most, the most powerful people in Israel a, a, a bunch of vipers, whitewashed tombs, dead bones on the inside. He called stuff out and he was a peacemaker. Sometimes you've got to stand up in the face of culture and call stuff out. And that actually is what makes you a peacemaker because you're making peace for a future generation. You're standing and you're fighting for a future generation. You're not a pacifist that just lets everything go. Conflict is necessary at times so that we can have real peace, not fake peace. Jesus taught that you should be, as a Christian, you should be both innocent as a dove and shrewd as a serpent. That's, a, that's an interesting teaching. That there's a time for Christians to be snake-like? And that's actually being obedient to Jesus? To be cunning? To be shrewd? To be crafty? To recognize that not everyone is to be trusted? Jesus said Christians, followers of him, should learn the balance of when to be innocent-hearted and shrewd and crafty like a serpent. Because if you're in dove mode and you're dealing with snakes, you're getting eaten. You understand? So Jesus taught, you better learn how to recognize your environment and be a peacemaker. Listen, if someone comes in my house, they're going to meet my peacemakers. A whole bunch of different calibers of them. We'll sort it out later. Pray for their souls, dimes on their eyes. Just kidding. All right. A little Catholic on them. Blessed are those who are persecuted for your stance of righteousness. He goes on to say, blessed are you if you're, you, you're, you take on insults and persecuted because of me. Nine times. Having the right attitude in the face of persecution. The right attitude in the face of insults is what makes you more like Jesus. So my question for you today is this, how is your attitude? Oh, does anybody have a bad attitude? Oh, there we have an honest woman right there. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, I can get bad attitudes, guys. I know none of you teenagers, you graduating seniors, none of you guys ever get bad attitudes. Never. Not once. Yes. 
See, my dad growing up, and, and if you grow up with parents that would spank, like for real spank, like, like go find me something to beat you with spank, like go out and find a switch, you'd come back with a little bitty stick, like mm -mm, try again, son. Go out and you, they're getting stuff off of the big weeping willows, man, putting time together, making, I mean, man, I grew up with spanking parents. My dad, he, he, called, it, he called it two things. He called it Either a board meeting, it's time for a board meeting, son. My dad was a woodworker and he would make his own paddles and he had a fabulous collection of paddles. Or he would call them attitude adjustments. Son, you need an attitude adjustment. My mom, she knew how to keep me in line. One time I told my sister to shut up. She told me that was toilet talk. If I was gonna talk like a toilet, she's gonna clean me like a toilet. Mom, I'm sorry, I'm telling you today. She washed my mouth out with Comet and said, don't swallow, you might die. It's a good mama right there. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I'll never say, shut up, that's a potty mouth? That's potty language? Shut up? Oh my gosh. Thank you, mom. My parents were amazing. I didn't die. The Bible actually says, if you spare the rod, you don't spank your kids. It says you hate your kids. It says if you, it says if you hit them with the rod, you won't kill them. You'll spare their soul from hell. That's your Bible. Some of you kids are in trouble today. Pastor Joel's going to get you. But, but if you grew up in my household, if you popped off at mama when she was in the kitchen, it wasn't like there was no preparation for a, for a spanking. Whatever was in her hand, kitchen spoons. Oh my gosh. Remember the ones that, you, that had a hole in them? You had polka dots on your backside. But I got about 14 and 15 and my mom started breaking kitchen spoons on me. And, and, and I would just laugh because it was funny. Splinters in the kitchen. And I'm like, ah, you know, just take that. My dad would get the big paddles out. He'd give me the attitude adjustment. And, and, and you know, I was like, oh, that's a good one, Pops. But it, I got tough. So my dad started calling my martial arts instructor. He was calling in professional hits. A hitman that he paid to adjust my attitude. And I would ride up with my little mongoose, all happy to go to martial arts class, wax on, wax off. And I'd get up and walk in and I'm whistling and excited. And my instructor would say, hey, Joel, go put your pads on, get to the center of the mat. Huh? Your dad called again, says you need an attitude adjustment. And my instructor beat the stuffing out of me. 25-year-old, I'm 14, 15. He's a nationally ranked competitor. I'm a child and would beat the stuffing out of me to adjust my attitude. It didn't kill me. Made me a national champ. Made me a world champ. Thanks, Dad. My parents are amazing. If you ever have the chance to meet my parents, they're some of the most incredible, godly, wonderful people on the planet. And they beat me. <laughs> According to the Bible, always on the tush. Good stuff. See, there's a misconception of happy in our world. We, we think that happy, you know what? I need to step back from that because I want to make sure that nobody, I want to make sure nobody misunderstands. When I say my parents beat me, my parents never beat me. This is what my parents did. My parents would sit me down and say, Joel, what you've done is wrong and we have to correct you. The Bible says that we have to spank you. So we're going to do that. And they would explain the Bible to me and they would spank me and then they would give me a hug and they would pray with me. That's what they would do. 
because they had an obligation to correct me because I was straying off the path real hard. So they did it in a very godly and a loving way, never out of angry, never out of vengeance or violence. I, I, I'm making jokes up here, but I wanna make sure that you understand that my parents corrected me according to the Bible in a loving way, not a violent way. I was never abused by them. They're wonderful parents. Important for you to understand. In our culture, happiness is a misconception. We think of happiness as something that we can attain. If I can just make this much money, I'll be happy. If I can, if, if I can, just, if I can just accomplish this in my career, I'll be happy. If I, could, if I could just get married, then I'll be happy. No, 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 you won't. See, happy is actually a decision. Happy is actually an attitude that you choose. It's not, a, it's not in a place that you arrive. It's not an accomplishment that you attain. It's a decision. I, for the last, like I said, 10, 12 years, I've studied the actual science of happiness. There's actually a 20-plus year study at Harvard University about happiness because of the phenomenon of these kids, incoming freshmen, that had worked their entire career through high school to follow their dream. They were the valedictorians, the best of the best, the, at the top of their class, and they get to Harvard. Now they're inside of the big Hogwarts Hall, and they're, they're in the middle. They're wearing Harvard gear. They accomplished. They made it, and within two weeks, they're depressed. They're abusing alcohol and drugs. They're, they're completely lost. They're going into uh, talking to their RAs because they're feeling suicidal. They've just accomplished their goal, and they're miserable because they're surrounded by every other valedictorian and they're no longer special. They're just one of the bunch. And so this study on happiness, one of the things they discovered is that the misconception is we think that happiness revolves around success. And if I can just hit this place of success or accomplishment or attainment or whatever, then I'll be happy. But what they found scientifically is the opposite is actually true. People that learned how to be happy, no matter what, were the ones that became successful. Because as it turns out, people like to work with happy people. People like to work with Tigger and Pooh, a little more than Eeyore and Piglet, apparently. They like it. It attracts other people to you. But happiness was a choice. It was a decision. And according to Jesus... The blessed life, the happy life, is connected to your attitude. I'm not a pilot, and I don't know a whole lot about planes, but I know that the word attitude is an aeronautical term, and it speaks to the pitch of the nose of the plane. There are two things that make a plane fly. Pitch plus power equals performance, is what my friend Greg told me after last service. Pitch, your attitude, plus the power that you add to it is what makes the plane fly. If the attitude is up, the plane goes up. If the attitude is down, the plane goes down. If the attitude goes down too steeply, you're in big trouble. Do you know if the attitude is up and it's, it's unproportional, you're in big trouble there too. Has to be the right angle for you to fly right, land right, and have a, a successful experience. And it's similar in life. If you want to adjust the attitude on the plane, you pull the sticks back. And oftentimes in life, when you're too close to a situation, 
You can't see the forest for the trees. You have to pull back away from the situation so that you can see it from a different perspective. It's one of the ways you adjust your attitude. It's why my parents would sit me down. It's why my parents would talk with me. It's why my parents would have those hard conversations. It's why they would spank me and then read me the Bible and hug me and then pray with me. Because they needed to help me understand to keep my attitude right because they didn't want me to destroy my life and I was on a path to do it. So we gotta learn to pull back, get a different perspective. What is it that adds power to your life? It's God's word. God's word. Your faith is powered by hearing God's word. So you pull back from the situation and you get some advice from other, from other people. You get some advice from godly counsel. You get some advice from God's word and you're able to apply that power because you're seeing things from a, from a different perspective. When Jesus declared his message, his number one message that he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent was his first message. What does repent mean? Repent. Pent in the Greek was the top. Go back to the top. Change your vantage point. Change your perspective. See it from a different angle. There's an opportunity for you here if you can repent. It doesn't mean just change what you're doing. It means change the whole way you look at it. Change your attitude about it. See, I found myself in places in life. I've had seasons of my life that my marriage was wonderful and fun. And I've had seasons where it wasn't. I've had seasons of my life where business was wonderful and fun. And I've had seasons it wasn't. I've had seasons that ministry, what I know I'm called to do, I don't do this because it's my job. I do this because I'm called to do it. I can't not do it. I would love to be able to not do it if I wanted to not do it, but I can't not do it. Amen. I tried to not do it. Can't. It's what he called me to do. It's what he made me to do. But there's been times where it was miserable. And every time, you don't check out on what God's called you. You don't check out on your family. You don't check out on your marriage. You don't check out on your calling. You don't check out on your vocation. You pull back. You get God's perspective. You, you, you get some power from his word. And what I learned is that if I could pull back and get the right perspective, then I could step back into that environment and I could, I, I might not be able to change the person, but I can change an environment because I can change the environment with my attitude. I can change the environment with my outlook. I can change the environment with what I declare over it. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a situation, a circumstance with an employee, with, a, with an employer, with, with, a, with a family member, with a friend, with a whatever. And the only thing that changed was my attitude and what came out of my mouth. And all of a sudden the entire circumstance changes. Because I got the right pitch and I got the right power. And able, I'm able to perform at a different level. Guys, I'm telling you, Jesus has given you a secret for happiness. And the secret is your attitude. Your attitude. If you can keep your attitude right, you can see the right things from the right perspectives and then declare his word into those environments. You can walk in happiness in the midst of a time and a season that doesn't make any sense. He's given you the secret of happiness. It's the genius of Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you that you would help me. Help me, Father, as I pray in this moment. 
connect the dots. Anyone in this room, maybe you've been going through some stuff and you need to repent. You've had the wrong attitude. You've had the wrong perspective. Maybe the wrong perspective on your vocational situation, the wrong perspective, the wrong attitude about your marriage, the wrong attitude about your opportunities, the wrong attitude about your finance, the wrong attitude about your family. You need to repent. Change the way you think. See it from a different perspective. Get God's mind on it. If that's you, just right where you are, just to yourself, tell the Father you're sorry. Just under your breath, just whisper to Him. Tell me you're sorry for the attitude. I've had the bad, I've had a wrong attitude about this. I've had a wrong attitude about my spouse. I repent for saying this. Repent for saying that. I choose to declare this truth from your word about this individual. That's your kid. That's your child, Father. I'm sorry for cursing your child. Forgive me. I will declare your word over them. I'll declare your truth over them. Some of you might need to forgive yourself. You might need to repent for the things you've thought, the attitudes you've had about yourself, the things you've said about yourself. You're God's child. Maybe you're in a place where you need to get right with Jesus today. I'm gonna just lead you in a simple prayer. Across the room and online, you can pray with us. Just say this with me. Say, Father, forgive me for my bad attitudes, for having the wrong perspective, for saying the wrong things. I need you in my life. I give my life to you, Jesus. I ask you to heal me, save me, Restore me in Jesus' name. My life belongs to you. I am yours. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, God did a miracle. He has forgiven you. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus said, if you put your faith in me, you'll be born again. You're born again. I just want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge that decision publicly. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me in front of people, I can acknowledge you in front of your Father in heaven. If, if you got right with God today, would you be bold enough to say, that's me, Joel. I got right with God. I want Jesus to acknowledge me. Anybody in the room? I got right with God today. There you are. God bless you. Anybody else? I got right with God today. Anybody else? Anybody else? I got right with God. If you're online, you got right with God, shoot us a little message. We want to connect with you. We want to help you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here. Brandon's going to come and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. Uh, continue with us through this series. I know it's going to absolutely be a blessing and change your life. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.